My name is Danny Forshe. I'm the pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I'm so honored, honored, thrilled that you're here today to be able to worship with us. Just know that you are very welcome, as that video just said. We're not a perfect church or an imperfect people, but we have an awesome, perfect God who loves us and who reaches down to us and, and saves us and rescues us. If you uh, have your Bibles, I would invite you to John chapter 1 is our text today, 43 through 51. And uh, thank you, Jeremy, Jeremy Armstrong, who gave our introduction to us uh, earlier today, he works as a, in the athletic department there at the University of Texas, uh, the little school just south of us here, about 10 miles, and uh, hook them horns. So bless you, Jeremy, for, for greeting us and welcoming us. Him and Sarah, very faithful, active in our church. Sarah and Jeremy teach in our children's ministry. So thank you, Jeremy. Uh, he mentioned uh, the little insert in your worship guide. If you would take your worship guide, if you have one, I want to mention a couple things in there to you. First of all, there is a we want to get to know you kind of card. We do ask you to fill that out if you'd be so kind, especially our first time guests. Uh, we, we would love for you to fill that out. Let us know who you are. Uh, you have any prayer requests, anything we can help you with, please jot that down. And you can put it in the offering plate or my wife and I will be out here in the Welcome Center right after the service. If you'd come by and greet us, we'd love to give you a book, encourage you a little bit. But also, if you don't want to take notes with your physical hand and write them in those, um, that sermon sheet, you can open up our app. We have a great Great Hills Baptist Church church app. And you can open that up and go, even now you can open it up. I will not accuse you of playing solitaire or crash the whatever those games they play, but uh, you can open it up and you can just type in the notes. We can save some trees. That would be cool. So you have your app open. You can follow along in our, in our message. Everything printed on the, in the bulletin is, is in there. Uh, last thing I want to say just by way of getting, before I get into the message, for the month of July, I've shared with you that we're going to be talking about our finances here at Great Hills and while I have your attention, I do want to just thank you, thank you for those of you that give your tithes and offerings to our church. You are the reason that we are able to do what we do, all the ministries, all the activities that Great Hills does. And there is a lot, my, my, my. Uh, if you knew just a quarter of the things that were going on in your church, you would be absolutely astounded and grateful to God. There are some things going on on the planet because of your giving and your finances that is absolutely changing an entire people group in South Asia. So I thank you for that. And also in, on, the, uh, on the bulletins, or excuse me, the tithing envelopes there, Ashley and I, we, were, we don't do this very often, but we actually came to church together. And that was, uh, that was a wonderful thing as I was teaching in the, in the Connect Group Hour and she came with me. And she goes, she's writing out our, our check and our tithe check. And she says, you know, we don't give to building vision anymore. And I said, absolutely, we do not. So last week I mentioned that we no longer give to Building Vision, and you gave the largest offering to Building Vision in the history of that campaign. <laughs> I'm like, oh my word. So for the month of July, I'm just going to ask you, thank you, thank you, but we're done with Building Vision. We, we, we ask you not to write any more checks or money to Building Vision because... The coffee shop is built, the new library is built, the new LED screen that the students used this past week is built up and running. About a $1.5 million of renovations and improvements, the, the flooring out there, thank you, you paid cash for it. So just keep your money, all right, if you need to. So, um, <clears throat> but we do want you to give your tithes and offerings and the offering goes to our missions ministry. So if you would, just look on your, your envelopes and you could take out the building vision part and we'll remove that hopefully in the next set, the next round. 
But we do appreciate you giving to our missions offering because that enables us to do all that we do, uh, sponsoring about 25 different missions and agencies. And it, it happens not because of our budget, but because of you giving extra to that mission offering. Speaking of our budget, we are way, way behind in our giving. So if you want to take some of your extra monies and put it towards your tithes, toward our offering of the budget, that would be fantastic. I wrote a letter this week, mailed it out to 1,500 people, and I heard from one person. <laughs> I'm beginning to question my leadership. One person sent uh, just a response. She was at the, um, uh, at the, uh, the, the picnic yesterday, and, and Pat, God bless you, it just encouraged me. She goes, you know, it, it came across well. You presented the need, and you told us some amazing things that God is doing, and I'm honored to tithe at my church. So thank you so much, and the 1,499 of you, God bless you. I hope you read it. If you didn't read it, we'll try to send it to you in an email because these are very, very critical days. Uh, between now and 2020 of September, uh, these are critical, critical days for our finances at Great Hills. We pay about $57,000 a month, every month, just for our mortgage for our debt payment, okay? And then we pay another $20,000 a month just to turn on the lights and the air conditioner, and that doesn't include ministries and salaries and that sort of thing. So if you're a guest... Just ignore everything that I just said, all right? You're a guest. You're our honored guest. We're not after your money, but we are sharing this message with our people because we want you to hear. For the month of July, every Sunday, I'm going to be talking about this. So if our attendance decreases dramatically, I'll know why. But we do want you to be here. We do want you to hear it uh, coming, coming from our heart. All right, so we're in John chapter 1. I want to share this message with you. We're in a series of messages in the month, really for the year of 2018. We're calling it For the One. And for the one has to do with Luke 15, 4, where Jesus Christ was teaching. And in that audience that day, there were all kinds of people. There were tax collectors and sinners, the Bible says in verse 1. There were scribes and Pharisees. There was the general populace at large. And the people came to hear Jesus Christ. And the reason they came to hear him teach is because he taught in a way that, that unlike any other rabbi, unlike any other prophet or, or pastor or preacher, Jesus Christ he taught in such a way that the people could grasp it, and he taught in such a way that it had this fortitude about him, this integrity about him, so that his amazing words were substantiated by his equally amazing life. And so there was instant credibility, believability, integrity in the words that he said. And so Jesus said, what, what shepherd among you? If you have a hundred sheep in the fold and one of those sheep, gets out of the corral, they get out of the fold, and they, they depart and they go off to by themselves. He goes, now, what shepherd among you would not leave the 99 and go after that one lost, solitary, lonely, I mean, precarious sheep? And basically, Jesus is saying, I am that person. I am that shepherd. And I want my people, my churches, my followers to have the same mentality that when you, when you leave the 99, and you go after the one. You say, but that's reckless. That doesn't make sense. Why would God do that unless you're that person? And if you are that person, you're incredibly glad <laughs> that God pursued you to the point of salvation. So that's what we're talking about for the month of, uh, I keep saying month. This is a year for the year of 2018 for the one. And today is the one Nathaniel. Now, we're going to look at John chapter 1. I'm going to read the text to you. I've got some things I want to share from my heart to you on this text. So, Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being together and worshiping you. Lord, many people are here for the very first time. God, I pray that they would hear how much 
You love them, and the reason that this church exists, it is, Lord, to pursue them, to help them come and feast at the table that many of us have been feasting at for decades, for years and years. And Lord, we are very cognizant of the presence of the Holy Spirit here and teaching us and speaking to us. So Lord, we pray that even now, God, as we open up the sacred scriptures, that Lord, you'd speak to us. Because Lord, we are thirsty, we are hungry. Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we are needy, we need you. And so Lord, we pray now in the name, above every name, the name of Jesus, that you would speak to us and you would encourage those who need encouragement. You would chastise those of us that may need a word of chastisement. And Lord, you would build us up so that we could become the people of God that you're calling us to be. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse uh, 43. Now the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. Now that presupposes that he's not in Galilee, right? If he wants to go there, then he's probably in the Judea area, probably around Jerusalem. And a lot of these guys are that he sees that he finds them and they've made their way to Jerusalem and Jesus is on his way back toward Galilee, which would be his Capernaum, especially would be his uh, Galilean headquarters. And he sees somebody. He wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida. Now, we've studied Philip, and we know that Bethsaida is one of the cities, one of the towns along the coast there of the Sea of Galilee. It also happened to be the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, Philip and Andrew and Peter, they are all part of what we know as the 12 apostles or the 12 original followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is amassing these people. He's selecting them. He is divinely picking them out to come and be his followers so that he could pour his life into them so that when he dies and he is raised to life and ascends back to the Father, he will have left his kingdom and his work in very good hands. Jesus began his ministry with the end in mind. And so he is pouring himself into, he's selecting them, he is discipling them, he is ministering to them So because he knows that in just three and a half years, his physical presence will no longer be on this earth. And so another guy he finds, Philip finds Nathanael, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathanael, he's going to be a little evasive. He's going to be a little jaded, and he, you'll see it in his response. And eventually, Nathanael will become one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. You may know him by the name Bartholomew. It's the same person. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And by, by the way, I just want to let y'all know something. That's not a very kind statement. I mean, if you think of a city in America and you don't like that city and you want to say something pejorative about it or negative about it, you say, can anything good come out of there? And that's what Nathaniel is doing. He is just kind of pushing back on Philip as Philip is trying to evangelize his friend, Nathaniel. He said, Nathaniel, can, can you see Philip's excitement? Oh man, we have found him. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. And, and Nathaniel, you just got to know him. And Nathaniel just brushes him off. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip did something so beautiful here. Some accuse Philip of not being very intelligent and not giving an A, 
a powerful apologetic or defense for the faith. And he, I think he did something even better. He said, just, just come and see. Just come and see Jesus for yourself. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. So that presupposes that Nathanael did what Philip asked him to do. He went to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no dolos. And that Greek word dolos means deceitful, guile, craftiness, really an evil heart. And Jesus looks at Nathanael and he says, You are a, a good man, Nathanael. And Nathanael said to him, Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, how, how, how do you know me? How, how do you even know who I am? You hear these questions, you hear the barb, you hear the caustic nature of Nathaniel. Do y'all have friends like that? <laughs> if you don't, you, you, need to, you need to make some friends like this because they're everywhere. They are hostile, they are resistant, they are not very interested in Jesus. And one of the best things that you and I can do at that moment is just say, hey, I'm praying for you, but you need to come and see. You need to come and see for yourself. Meet Jesus for yourself. And Nathaniel says, how do you? How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael was by himself. There wasn't a single solitary soul anywhere in the proximity of Nathanael. And yet Jesus Christ is not your ordinary teacher, preacher, rabbi, prophet, right? And so Jesus Christ in his divinity, he sees Nathanael when Nathanael doesn't think anybody sees him. And, and, and Jesus says, and let me just show this to you specifically. I can point out exactly where you were. You, and he says, you were under that fig tree. And Nathanael says, surely you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him. And Jesus counters with a little bit of rebuke to Nathanael. He says, it's because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Is that why you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then Jesus said to him, and you'll see this often in the Gospel of John, it's, uh, it's the Greek word amen, and it's repeated twice for emphasis. Amen, amen, or verily, verily. My translation is, hey, listen to me real quick. Oh, hold on, y'all. Hold on just a second. Listen to me really quick. This is very, very important what I'm about to say. Most assuredly, I say to you, Nathaniel, hereafter, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God will ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. So today, our study is, is another biographical study. We're going to study the life of Nathaniel. But really, even deeper than that, we're going to study and analyze the life of Christ. We are a Christian church, and Christian churches are to do one of, they are to do two things. They are to open the Bible and share the Bible. And number two, they are always to honor and point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Nathaniel Bartholomew, he's an interesting person. What we don't know a whole lot about him except what is revealed in Scripture in this situation as he initially comes into the fold as Jesus Christ draws him. And by the way, when you read in the New Testament, Jesus never calls any two people the identical way. He just specializes. He knows us. He knows our hearts and he knows how to woo us. He knows how to draw us and speak to us. And so of all the people that are here today, most of whom have probably come into a relationship with God through Christ. And I guarantee you every single person has a different story. 
You have a different life, a different background, and how your life intersected and, and, and converged with the life of Christ, we call that a testimony. It's a beautiful thing. And Nathaniel, we can read all throughout the Bible and you'll never see Jesus say, and by the way, you are an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And by the way, I saw you, you were under the fig tree and Nathaniel about passed out. He's like, how in the world did you know that? That's the specialty of Christ. And Christ is evangelizing him and bringing him to a knowledge of himself. Nathaniel, we read about him, if you're interested, in John 21:2. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot that down. And we read about him in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And the reason I bring that out is because Nathaniel not only starts with Christ, but he finishes with Christ. In fact, all 12 except Judas began well. They continued well with a few, you know, bumps and bruises along the way. And eventually they, they finish well. And that's what I want to do, Great Hills Baptist Church. I want to start well. I want to continue well with all my foibles and spiritual freckles and warts and difficulties. But I also want to finish well. I want to hear Jesus say, hey there, you were not perfect. You made a lot of mistakes. But overall, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on into heaven. I think that's what happens to Nathaniel. You see him there in John 21. You see him there in Acts 1. Here's what happens to Nathaniel. After the death and the resurrection of Christ, the original disciples, minus Judas, who's replaced by Matthias, whom soon thereafter Jesus calls a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus to join in with his apostolic group. But when you trace the life of Nathaniel, you find him, some believe he goes to India but there's better evidence that he ended up in a place called Armenia. And in Armenia, there the Christian faith was established by this man by the name of Nathaniel or Bartholomew. And was it ever costly? Because he preached the Bible, or he preached Jesus Christ as the Bible's being written. He's preaching Christ. And people are just coming to the Lord. They're leaving their pagan religions. They're leaving all of this idolatry and they're leaving these false gods and they're coming to the one true God and Nathaniel's preaching that. And as he preaches it, I mean, scores of people come to faith in Christ. And by the way, when that happens, that usually gets the attention of the authorities and it did. So they capture Nathaniel and they flay him alive. I can't imagine the, the grotesque, painful experience of literally taking utensils and and, and knives and just pulling the very skin off of your body. And that's what they did to him. And then to mock him, they crucified him upside down. And that's how Nathaniel dies. But not before the Christian faith is well established in Armenia. And Armenia has had a history of, of great persecution and, and genocide as we see in around World War I. When we were in Bethlehem uh, a few uh, weeks ago, when we went there to the very birthplace of Jesus, they told us that because of the Armenians, the Armenian Christians, this church has been preserved, this place has been preserved, and you're able to come here free of charge because of some Armenian believers. And I think about Nathaniel. I think about him giving his life. I think about him becoming a martyr. And he says, Lord, I give you my very life. And I preach the gospel. And that same gospel that he preached has not only been established in Armenia, but Armenian Christians have preserved many of the sites in the Holy Land. Interesting. 
Okay, so there are a few things I wanna, I wanna share with you as we walk through this uh, uh, text together. But before we do that, I need you to stand to your feet, okay? At the count of three, one, two, three, just stand to your feet. All right, lift your hands in the air like this if you're okay with that, all right. All right, put your hands down. Look to the person next to you and say, God bless you, I'm glad you're here. Then look to the other person to you and say, are you awake? Okay, good. All right, you may, be, you may be seated. Good, thank you so much. You may be seated. I, sir, I apologize for interrupting your nap. I know you were, you were sound asleep, and I, I'm sorry for doing that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If he is over there and asleep, I had no idea. I just felt like uh, we, we just need a little levity. We just need to stand up. We need to be thankful to God that we're even here today. And just grateful that we get to be in church. There are people who were flayed alive so that you could be sitting right where you are. Isn't that amazing? Does that help you? Does it help you get perspective? All right, so here's the four things I want to share with you about this man by the name of Nathaniel. And you can follow along in your, in your outlines, or better yet, you can follow along in your New Testament. And the first word I want to look at is the word evangelized. He is evangelized by none other than his good friend, Philip. So we're in John chapter 1, and I'm looking specifically at the very beginning of this text, oh, around verses 45 and 46. As we read it a moment ago, you see that Philip found Nathanael, said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about him, Jesus of Nazareth. That's a beautiful way to evangelize his friend Nathanael. Nathanael is a spiritual man. Nathaniel, whose name literally means gift of God, if you're Nathan here today, Nathan L., uh, gift of God. And Nathaniel, I think he has a heart for God. I think he has a little bit of a, a sharp mind. I think he has a little bit of an edge to his spirit just by, based on some of the questions and the way he asked them. But Philip's not intimidated by that. Philip is so excited that somebody shared Christ with him, that he now is going to go share Christ with Nathaniel. And so he evangelizes him. He, he witnesses to him. He, he is on mission for him. And he says, come, come meet him. We have found Jesus. And then he says something interesting. Of whom Moses and the prophets have written about him. And so when we look at that text, you say, well, what did Moses write about Jesus. And it doesn't take long in, in, the, in the Torah you see in 1815 of Deut Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is a very powerful, famous messianic prophecy in the Torah. And there are many others, but Philip just says, we have found him. Moses wrote about him. And so did the prophets, Nathaniel. All the major prophets, all the minor prophets, 400 and something prophecies given about this person, and now he's arrived. He is here. And one of my favorite, and I've jotted this one down for you, is, Ma is Micah 5.2. In Micah 5.2, it tells us who this Messiah, exactly where he will be born. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me. Now watch this, church. Watch this prophecy about the coming Messiah. He is specifically his location where he will be born. I know he grew up in Nazareth, but that is not where he was born. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. All right, that's where Jesus was born. And Micah, 500 years before that, says he will be born 
in Bethlehem. You say, well, a lot of people are born in Bethlehem. Why is this prophecy so special? Well, watch this. The one who will be rulered in Israel, watch this, whose goings forth are from of old, he is everlasting. And he'll be born in Bethlehem. Can you wrap your mind around that, Nathaniel? I'm telling you, he is special. He, we believe him to be the son of God, and he is born in Bethlehem, and he is from the city of Nazareth. So Philip is doing a great job here. He is teaching us how to evangelize our friends. He is engaging him. He is, in, he is encouraging him. He is telling him, come, come and meet this person that we're so incredibly fond of. Nathaniel was from a city called Cana. And Cana is about 10 miles due north of Nazareth. Some people believe that there is a Friday night football rivalry between, thank you, one person got it, amen, between, uh, between Cana and Nazareth, and that's why he's a little jaded. That's why he's a little upset, because Nazareth, ah, anything good come out of Nazareth. To help you with the distance, it's about the distance between the University of Texas and Great Hills Baptist Church, about nine or ten miles. And he is from Cana, and Jesus is from Nazareth. And initially, Nathaniel, he has a hiccup over that. He has a problem with that. Ah, can anything good come out of that place? And then he just says, well, you need to come and see. I was reading one of our statisticians and one of our theologians this week, and he had an interesting summary about how People, there are so many people in America, much like the people we read about in the New Testament, who are very, very open to spiritual conversations. In fact, I think he makes the argument that there are far more people in America who want to talk about Jesus and learn about him than there are those of us willing to speak about him. Now, that is an indictment on our church, on every church. If there are more people in America who would love to be invited to church or at least know, hear something about Jesus Christ, and yet we are silent, then that, that, that speaks, to, speaks to us. He writes these words, The survey showed that 90% of unchurched Americans say they have at least one close friend who considers himself or herself to be a Christian. Do those Christians talk way too much about their beliefs? Not really. Not according to 71% of the survey respondents. Despite their bad attitudes toward the church, unchurched Americans are surprisingly open to talk about Jesus. They're very open to talk about the Christian faith. And in fact, they already know somebody who could talk to them about Jesus. All we need to do is start a conversation about spiritual matters with the unchurched people we already know because they are waiting. End of quote. Well, Philip didn't have to be told twice. He went to Nathaniel. I think he knows Nathaniel's a little jaded. I think he knows Nathaniel's maybe a little intellect, maybe a little scholarly, erudite. He's, he's, he's an interesting dude. He's, a, he's an Austinite dude. He reminds me of every, the people in Austin, a lot of education. Do y'all know? We live in arguably the most educated, affluent city in America. 
I mean, you just look around. There are more MDs, PhDs, almost everybody in 78759, a little bit of hyperbole there when I say everybody. A lot of people have at least a bachelor's degree. And here we sit, we used to be North Austin, now we're Central Austin, and they're everywhere around us. And even though some of them are jaded, even though some of them are arrogant, even though some of them just like to argue, at least they are open. They're open to talk about the faith that you say you so cherish. You say, wow, you know who my friends are because they, they're like that. Yes, I have those friends too. And whether at the gym or at the store, wherever I bump into them, they are very, most of them are very eager to talk about Jesus. And so evangelism, it's important. We see Philip doing it. We have found him come and, and he is from Nazareth. He's not from Rome. He's not from Athens or Antioch or Alexandria or Corinth or Ephesus. He's not even from Jerusalem. Uh, he is from Nazareth. And that, that leads me to point number two, evasive. And that's when Nathaniel goes, well, can there anything good come out of Nazareth? You say, well, why did he say that? Well, there's reasons why he said that. Because Nazareth at this time was known for a small, corrupt city. Nazareth had a road that passed through a highway where Roman soldiers would travel. So would many merchants and so would many businessmen. And, and it, was, it just did not have the best reputation of all the cities in Israel. Nazareth, well, can anything good come out of there? All I know is a bunch of corruption comes out of Nazareth. And yet you're telling me that the, the Savior of the world, is he was raised in Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. That's, that's the gist. That's the dialogue that is going on. But it's just like God to let his son be raised in Nazareth. Because God in his wisdom and his majestic mind, he does those things that confound the arrogant and the proud. But those who are humble and those who just say, God, I don't understand it all, but you're just smarter than I am. God, I just really believe that you created me. I didn't evolve from, from some primordial prebiotic soup. I believe, God, that there is a purpose in my life. And Lord, I have lots of questions. And Lord, there's a lot of things I don't understand. But God, I believe in you. Ooh, that's, that's what gets the heart and the attention of God. When we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I got lots of questions, but Lord, I am open. Teach me. And that's what Philip does to Nathaniel. He said, in all your evasiveness, in all your questions, in all your arrogance, here, here, Nathaniel, why don't you just come and see him for yourself? And he does. He takes him up on it and he comes to Jesus of Nazareth. One writer says, Nazareth was rotten to the core. And yet that's where Jesus spent, spent his time. Oh man, there's a lot more I want to say about that. I got some quotes and some interesting things, but I just don't have time. If you want to get this manuscript, we still print these out. If you want it, you can have it. In fact, I think it'll come out on the website eventually, but you can read more about evasiveness. All right, number three. Let me, let me move on to number three. Thank you for letting me do that. Verses 47 through 49 is where Jesus begins to engage uh, Nathanael. So let's look at it just, just briefly again. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming, and he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile or deceit. Nathanael said to him, Why do you know? How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, I, I knew you. I, I saw you. You were under uh, the fig tree. So at this point, Jesus is engaging him. 
Jesus knows things that Nathaniel has no idea that Jesus knows about him. Jesus knows that he has... Um, he, he really is a straight shooter, straightforward kind of person. What you see is what you get in Nathaniel. He doesn't have any decoy. He doesn't have any craftiness. He, he, he can be a little abrasive, I, I think. But Jesus says, really, you're the straight shooter. I mean, there's, there's, there's no deceit in you. Now, at this point, I, I think intentionally, the gospel of John is, is telling us something that, that, that's very important here. That there's a very good chance that what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree was reading the story of Jacob. The story of Jacob, whose name means supplanter, deceitful one. And God changes Jacob's name to Israel, and Jacob has a dream. And remember later on in verse 51, Nathaniel and Jesus, Jesus is telling him, Look, look, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Many people, myself included, believe that Nathaniel is studying the Scriptures while he's under the fig tree. He's studying the life of Jacob. And Jesus says, unlike Jacob, you don't have any supplanting, any deceit or any guile. And then he, then he follows it up with, and you'll see the Son of God ascending and descending upon me. And the angels descending upon me. Now remember, in the Old Testament, Jacob has this dream. He has this dream where angels are ascending and descending upon a ladder. Oh, let me just tell you something, guys. By now, Nathaniel is hooked. <laughs> he is fully engaged with Jesus because Jesus is telling him things that nobody could know unless he is God and unless he has the mind of God to peer into the very life of Nathaniel. I saw you sitting under the fig tree. My, my favorite professor, Roy Fish, made this comment about this text. He said, something happened under that fig tree. It was probably Nathaniel's favorite place of prayer. It was here that he got alone with God, the God of Abraham, where he met the Lord. In all likelihood, recently, he had been under this fig tree with a desperate hunger in his heart to know the Messiah. Jesus knew the thoughts. He knew the mind of Nathaniel as he was communing with God there. The thing you hunger for under the fig tree I saw, and the answer to your hunger is here. And Nathaniel confesses Christ. Another beautiful statement here is the verse 48 where Jesus said, And I saw you. Can you all can grapple with this text with me for just a few moments? And Jesus is engaging him, not only in his mind, cognitively, mentally, theologically, you're not like Jacob, but you have a, more of a purity about you. You think that was a cool dream about the ladder and the angels ascending and descending. You're going to see amazing things after this. But he's speaking to his mind. But at this moment, I think he really speaks to his heart when he says, And I saw you. Oh, the gaze and the vision from the eyes of Almighty God. God sees us. And he loves us. It's interesting, a couple years ago when I was in Orlando, I was in a, a meeting with a group of pastors. And true story, it, it, I, we were in a restaurant. And once a year and only once a year, I go to Orlando and, and play the Bay Hill Golf Course. Absolutely fun time. Thank you all, by the way, for letting me go and do that. Have a wonderful time. I try to represent you well. I always don't play good golf, but I always try to represent you well. So we're there. We're eating at this restaurant. And... And this guy comes in, and he's upset. 
And uh, he comes into the restaurant and he is, he is physically upset. I don't, I don't know what his issue was, but he's, he's angry about something. He's hurting about something. By the way, there's, there's a correlation between that. A lot of times angry people are, are hurt people and hurt people do what? They hurt people. And this guy comes in and, and he, he asks the, the guy at the, uh, that, that's taking the, the people in and having them seated. He goes, well, who are those people over there? And the, the maitre d' or whoever this guy says, well, that's a bunch of pastors over there having dinner. He said, pastors? He said, oh, oh, God, let David Youth be one of those pastors because I would love to see him. That's what he did. Now, David Youth is the pastor at First Baptist Church of Orlando, and he and I, about we see eye to eye. He's 6'6", all right? <laughs> he is 6'6". Six six. Hey, I can stand on ladders and look people eye to eye. And he comes into this room of pastors. He goes, is David Youth here? And David had just been sharing with us pastors about how important it is to recognize people, to speak to people. And even more than that, he said... Let me encourage you as a pastor how important it is to physically touch people. Now, not, you know, full frontal hugs and stuff. He's just saying, just, just put, shake the hand or, or put a hand on a shoulder. If I had more time, I would demonstrate how you do that. You just go put hands on people. You lay hands on them. Not in a violent way or a mean way, but he's saying there's something powerful about a pastor who would just touch his people, love his people. And that guy comes into the room, and David Youth looks at him, he says, he said, Pastor David. And David said, well, hello. And he knew him. And he walked up to him. And in front of all of us, David hugs this man, says, how are you doing? I'm doing terrible. Let me pray with you right in front of all of us. It's amazing what can happen when we see people. We look at them with the eyes of God and the compassion of God. And God can do miraculous things if we're open. He can reveal things to us. I had somebody at the picnic tell me just yesterday, um, I don't think James would mind me sharing this testimony, that he said when his son was in the hospital, he went into the hospital room that very day, and he said there was such a palpable heaviness, brokenness in that hospital room. He says, I was desperate. I was having such a hard time. And he says, and I was in that room, and all of a sudden, it lifted. He said that spirit that was in that room, it just came up out of the room. And he said, and I looked on my phone, and I got a text from you and other pastors who were saying, at this very moment, we are praying for you. Isn't that amazing? That's God. He goes, I felt that, that spirit just lift out of our room, and it was because pastors, people were praying for him and his son. I'm not done, but I got to finish. I got to go to point four, which is equipped, where Jesus not only deals with him and engages him, he moves from the point of saving him to the point of where he's actually going to equip him and disciple him, if you will. Let me read this to you again. It's in John 1. Jesus said in verse 50, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see even greater things than this. And then he said to him, now look at verse 51. I hope this helps you interpret this difficult passage of Scripture. And a lot of times, Scripture is difficult for us because we don't know the context or what it's alluding to. And many times in the Old Testament. But I hope I can help you here at this point. When Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, when you remember that he's probably studying the life of Jacob 
And because Jesus has already given us a clue, you, you're, not, you're not a person of deceit. And then Jesus says, of all things Jesus could have said in the Old Testament, he talks to him about ladders. And where do we see a ladder in the Old Testament except in Genesis when Jacob is praying and he has this vision of a ladder coming down out of heaven to the earth and angels are going up and down the ladder. And Jacob's probably going, I have no idea what this represents. But now in heaven, he does he know what it represents. And Jesus said, Nathaniel, you think that's, you think that's cool? And it is. From here on, you're going to see even greater things than that because I am the ladder from heaven. Think about ladders. Can, can I talk to you about ladderology for just a moment? It's a new word. Thank you. I just created it. Ladderology is the study of... Thank you. Thank you. I like ladders. They make me feel important and tall. I climb them. On occasion, I climb them. The only time I really climb them is to change the filter. I can't get my wife to do that for me, so I have to do it. I have to climb up the ladder and, cha <laughs> and change uh, the filters. Have you ever thought about the purpose of a ladder? It's to meet you where you are, to take you to a place you can't reach. Because in my vertical challengedness, and in my Zacchaeus syndrome shortness, I cannot physically reach up and change a light bulb. I cannot change an air filter. But when I get the ladder out, I... We are climbing Jacob's ladder. That's it, yeah. And so I climb that ladder and I'm thinking, now I'm empowered and now I can do what I need to do. And Jesus says, Nathaniel, watch this. That's me. I've come from heaven. By the way, you can't make it to heaven without me. So I've come to you and I'm the ladder. So start where you are on earth and start making your way across me. I'll lay down my life for you so that you can go to heaven. That's what he's telling Nathaniel. That's what he told me. That's what he's telling you, that he will be your ladder. You say, I don't need a ladder. I am tall as I need to be. I can reach any height I want to reach. What other lies do you want to tell me? Because you need God. You need him. I need him. He said, I, I, I cannot make it to heaven on my own. Nathaniel, you can't either. You need me. And you think Jacob's dream was something. For the next three and a half years, Nathaniel, watch this. You will see the angelic, the divine power of God in me and through me. I'm going to raise people like Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to heal 10 lepers. One will give me thanks, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to heal them all. You're going to see me just feed 20,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. You think that was amazing what you saw in that latter dream? Oh, watch this, Nathaniel. I'm going to do all of those things and more because I am who Philip said that I am. I am the son of God. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you put one foot on the ladder. You know, it's a beautiful thing. When you put one foot up, you overcome that fear and you just start climbing up and it's like God just, just kind of takes you. Maybe here today and you'd be sitting out here in this, this sanctuary and in a moment there'll be pastors and ministers up here and we'll say, can we pray for you? Can we encourage you? Do you want to come to Christ? And, and then your heart starts beating really fast and you're that guy. You're Nathaniel. Intellectual, a little jaded, <laughs> A little opinionated, 
but you're a straight shooter. There really is no guile or deceit in you. You're, you just shoot straight. And God got you here today so you could hear this sermon so that you could be saved. And when you take a step toward God, God just takes you right where you are. Hey, listen, if you wait to figure it all out, you'll never take your first step. But if you just say, Lord, I don't know, there's a lot I don't know. Lord, I don't even know what I don't know. And I'm coming, Lord, just to trust in you to be my Savior. Now watch this. Last thing I want to say, the most important thing I want to say. When you take the first step, God will open the flood of heaven. He will save you. He will change you. And for the rest of your life, you will say, you knucklehead, why didn't you do this earlier? But God will say, it's okay, come, come. Father, I thank you for people that are here today that need you. Lord, we are prepared for them. We've been waiting on them. We as a church want to connect them to you. God, because God, somebody in the past, some church in the past had connected us and helped us come to know you. So we want to return the favor. We want to pay it forward. So Lord, whoever he is, whoever she is, Lord, whether Nathaniel, wherever they're sitting here or they're listening online, I pray now, God, that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that, Lord, they would just have faith and trust and repentance and they would come as they are. Lord, not understanding everything and, and certainly not trying to figure everything out, but just saying, Lord, I'm here. I, I, I trust in you, God. Would you reveal yourself to me? I believe. And, Lord, for the remainder of us, Lord, I, I, I pray that we could have the boldness of a Philip, that we could engage people and talk to people because so many people are open. And I know, Lord, that we're going to run into some, some folks that just want to argue and they don't want to debate, but Lord, help us love them and help us to give an answer to the best of our ability and then just ultimately just say, come and see for yourself. Lord, I thank you for, and there was, there's a guy in our church just a couple of weeks ago was witnessing to an atheist. And he told the atheist, he said, I'm going to get you a Bible and I want you to read it. And then I want to talk to you about it. Because how can you dismiss something that you've never read? Lord, what a great challenge. And I pray that for whoever's here today. And help me, Lord, help us as a church to be ready, be open, and equip the saints. But also, Lord, evangelize those that are far from you. Lord, we love you. We pray this now in Jesus' name that you take our invitation and bless it. Amen. So let's all stand together as we sing together. We'll pray some more together. Our band here is going to lead us. We've got pastors and people up at the front. We'd love to help you and encourage you.